Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 845. Chapter 129. Interlude. Din of Whispering. Reshi! Bass cried out, his face stricken. No, stop! He held out his hands as if he would press them against the innkeeper's mouth. You shouldn't say such things! Quoth smiled in a humorless way. Bast, who taught you your name, Lore, in the first place? Not you, Reshi. Bast shook his head. There are things every fey child knows. It's never good to speak such things aloud. Not ever. And why is that? Quoth prompted in his best teacher's voice. Because some things can tell when their names are spoken. Bast swallowed. They can tell where their names are spoken. Quoth gave a somewhat exasperated sigh. There's small harm in saying a name once, Bast. He sat back in his chair. Why do you think the Adem have their traditions surrounding that particular story? Only once and no questions after? Bast's eyes narrowed thoughtfully and Quoth gave him a small, tight smile. Exactly. Trying to find someone who speaks her name once is like tracking a man through a forest from a single footprint. Chronicler spoke up hesitantly, as if afraid of interrupting. Can such a thing really be done? he asked, truthfully. Quoth nodded grimly. I expect that's how they found my troop when I was young. Chronicler looked around nervously, then frowned and made an obvious effort to stop. The result was that he sat very still, looking every bit as nervous as before. Does that mean they might come here? You've certainly been talking about them enough. Quoth made a dismissive gesture. No, names are the key. Real names. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. How do we know which names are their real names? Well, I think Great question. Them. I think the chain, I think the ADEM seem pretty uh, pretty confident about that. Yeah, the assumption that we are going with, I think, is that the ADEM's oral tradition is actually a better store of knowledge than all the kind of folk tales and and uh, treatises that have been passed down in the Commonwealth, and so they're even if they're not completely their correct names they're probably closer than than like Haley axes for example i see and we finally get explicit confirmation that they literally hear when mm. their names are spoken i think that's been an idea in the book that's been floated around but i don't think we've ever explicitly said they can tell when their names are spoken mm. it's certainly an idea that we have floated around on the podcast probably because we all, all read this this chapter Indeed. Yeah, but by the time, you know, by the time we're 80% of the way through book two, I think we have enough context clues to put together the idea that that draws their attention to, to speak their names, if only because mm -hmm. it's so hard to find their names and, uh, and people are so loath to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And now we know explicitly. And, and on this page and the next, we learn how it, like basically how it works, how it feels to them. It's the it's like 
to have the name spoken once is like finding a footprint in the forest. Know that there's like someone out there, which is interesting. And I will talk about this more tomorrow, or I, I hope to, I plan to, but who knows? I often say this and then forget. But I wonder if this is setting up a domino for book three, if that in speaking these names now, we are, this is like, there will be a, a comeuppance in the next book as a follow-up mm. because they are now clued into the fact that he's out there speaking their names. He mm. seems pretty unmoved, pretty nonplussed about the idea. I think yeah. I'm misusing nonplussed. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, nonchalant, maybe? Yeah, he's pretty nonchalant about it. He's like, yeah, it's whatever. I can say it once. It's no big deal. They probably I'm... can't see it or, you know, it's probably too noisy for them. Yes, on the, we are getting into Next Page's territory right now. We're eating Next Page's lunch. Lots of lunch. No lunch the only part of that mumble I heard was episodes. lunch. Um, I do like, too, that Quoth is kind of giving a logic for why the Adam have this tradition around their story as well, like connected to this idea. Like, you tell the story once and then you have to, like, travel a thousand miles and, you know, get get if you're going to say their names, for the words go far, far away from me. Just in case. Ah. And that this is not just like name lore, as Quoth understands it, but this is fundamental <clears throat> to Fey livelihood. It's like a fundamental knowledge. It's like well, it's a force that, of nature, I guess. I mean, to me, it's just like the kind of thing that every Fey learns in the same way that like, you know... I don't know, every kid learns to like, look both ways before crossing the street, walk single file if you're walking on the side of the highway kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just exactly. like it's, it's like childhood safety stuff that is common sense for everybody to know because it's, you know, obvious. It's some things can tell when and where their names are spoken. That's interesting. It's not just Chandrian. Unless he's yeah. avoiding saying... It might be saying, other things. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is that there might be other things who... I bet Valerian can, for example. Yeah, but she probably likes it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's That's why like, she oh, sent him out there to sing me. songs about her. You know, it, we gotta know. It, it would be an interesting thing to explore the idea. I think American Gods kind of explores this idea, but sort of like being a being that was once worshipped and adored, and being aware of your star falling, and how fewer and fewer people are are putting in that effort for you. And that was an interesting motivator for Valurian, I think. That isn't really textual, mm -hmm. but... It is also, like, that's just... I feel like Gaiman certainly is one of the better-known people who uses it. I feel like he's not the only person, but he may have popularized the idea that, like, gods derive their divine power from their worshippers. So, you know, if you don't... If no one's worshipping you anymore, then you're not really powerful anymore like that's part of the tragedy of american gods that all the you know the egyptian gods and the greek gods they're still around but you know there's only a couple of people in the entire world who are still like making the sacrifices and so they are like shadows of themselves the first place i encountered that idea was in small gods by terry pratchett which is a great first discworld book because it's not related to any of the other discworld lore so mm. it's a great entry point where it's a good standalone story and it has a really interesting kind of take on that where there's like a powerful theocratic empire uh, who are, you know, doing all these atrocities in the name of their god, Om. And the god Om is the main character of the book. And that has happened where no one actually truly believes in Om 
anymore. And so Om's power has dwindled to the point where he is essentially utterly powerless. Uh, but still in his name, this empire is off doing all these atrocities and it's exploring kind of the, that relationship between like power and belief and uh, what we do for those things. It's a good, really good book. I really recommend it, especially if you're looking for interesting subversive fantasy with a satirical twist these days. I think Terry mm. Pratchett, I, mean, I don't think I'm saying anything relevatory by saying Terry Pratchett is good, but I think his uh, back catalog is due a second look. Just don't try to read them in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, and it turned me off Pratchett forever. I mean, I already wasn't a fan, but then I read his first book, and I was like, oh, I'm really not a fan. Yeah, no, the first ones are really, they're like derivative Douglas Adams Mm-hmm. Uh, dear. Yeah, so you really gotta jump into the middle where he's starting to explore his own voice and but anyway, t- this is tying this all together. Book, Pratchett and Gaiman know each other and worked together on uh among other things, uh good omens. And both of those authors I think were an influence on on Rothfuss. So I think it's not out of the realm of possibility to say that that idea might be even if it's not textual, it might be kind of like underpinning certain parts of this book. I also just want to point out, this is the first interlude we've had in a while. And in fact, this is chapter 129. The last interlude was chapter 105. So 24 chapters have gone by. uh, And in my book, that's like 114, you know, like almost 150 pages. What happened in that previous interlude? Uh, The previous interlude is after Foth has encountered the Cathay and Bast goes, ah, you encountered the Cathay? That's really bad. And so we have another moment of Bast going, ah, you did something really bad. (laughs) Indeed. I feel like Bast is sort of like, like if you have parents who might have been like hippies in their youth and like you didn't know and then you found out as a teenager and they told you about all their wild and crazy times and you're like, what? You did what? (laughs) Do you speak from experience, Jordana? No, uh, maybe. Okay. One story from my dad, but honestly, my parents are, are not that cool. <laughs> I'm imagining a, uh, a bast played by Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. What? Rashi? <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't say such things, Rashi. <laughs> there are things oh. every fake child knows. It's not good to speak them aloud. Oh, God. I, that hurts. That hurts me. Like, it's not even just that it hurts my ears. Like, there's a part of me deep inside that cannot handle that. You can't handle <laughs> it. I just, I just you don't like it. I Gilbert revolt Godfrey against playing it. Bast. Yeah, I do not like it. <laughs> well, Jordana, oh, it'll never happen because he's dead. No! It's sad. Like, I like him in other stuff, just, you know, not for Bast. Nope, sorry. He's he's best. He's my canon best. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Why have you done this? Honestly, a young Gilbert Gottfried could have probably because he had like an impish uh, affect to him. He could have totally pulled off young Bast. He looks more like a chronicler to me. Uh, <laughs> listener, you can fan cast Gilbert Gottfried in the fantasy novel of your choice on tomorrow's page. Oh, does that mean they'll come here? You've no, certainly been talking about them enough. <laughs> The wind. <laughs>